Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey friends, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for November 23rd through 29, Ether 12 through 15, By Faith All Things Are Fulfilled. I really loved the reading this week. Um, it has one of my favorite Moroni stories in it. Um, one of the reasons I love Moroni is because of a story that happens this week. We also have the words of ether, which are all about faith and hope, and not just like theoretical faith and hope, but it's about putting faith and hope into action and into works. And I just, I really love the practical application of faith in our lives. So all kinds of just really good stuff this week. Um, starting out with Come Follow Me. Come Follow Me says, Ether's prophecies to the Jaredites were great and marvelous. He told them of all things from the beginning of man. He foresaw the days of Christ in the latter day New Jerusalem. And he spoke of hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God. But the Jaredites rejected his word for the same reason people often reject the prophecies of God's servants today, because they see them not. It takes faith to believe in promises or warnings about things we cannot see, just as it took faith for Ether to prophesy of great and marvelous things to an unbelieving people. It took faith for Moroni to trust that the Lord could take his weakness in writing and turn it into strength. It's this kind of faith that makes us sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. And it's this kind of faith by which all things are fulfilled. I love that. I love that. I love the weakness um, the weakness into strong things. That's the Moroni story I'm really excited about this week. But first... Let's start with the first section. Faith in Jesus Christ can lead to mighty miracles. And Come Follow Me says, Many people today, like the Jaredites in Ether's day, want to see evidence before they will believe in God and his power. However, Moroni taught that faith is things which are hoped for and not seen, and that you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. Note each time you find the word faith in Ether 12 and record what you learn about faith. Okay. Let's go through Ether 12. I want to show you all the different places where I find the word faith and some of the things I learned about it. So first off, I started going in and I started looking at like, you know, where it was cross-referenced. You look at the little cross-reference letter and it takes you to a different scripture. I learned some things from it. So let's start in with Ether 12 verse 2. And Ether was a prophet of the Lord. Wherefore, Ether came forth in the days of Coriantumr, and began to prophesy unto the people, for he could not be restrained because of the Spirit of the Lord which was in him. For he did cry from the morning, even until the going down of the sun, exhorting the people to believe in God unto repentance, lest they should be destroyed, saying unto them, that by faith are all things fulfilled. Okay, 
So by faith, all things are fulfilled. And then I went in, I looked at the cross-reference, and it takes us to Moroni 10, 20, where he says, Wherefore, there must be faith, and if there must be faith, there also must be hope, and if there must be hope, there also must be charity. To me, that sounds like faith is linked with hope and charity. And we see that not only here in the Book of Mormon, but also in the New Testament, where Paul links faith, hope, and charity together. Um, this, this scripture in particular is also linked to Paul's treaty on faith, hope, and charity, which is in 1 Corinthians 13. And 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these three is charity. That's what Paul says. So I think, and later on I'm going to talk about the Dieter F. Uchtdorf talk about faith, hope, and charity. And he compares faith, hope, and charity like a three-legged stool. Faith is super important, but with our faith, we have to have hope and charity. We're going to talk more about that as the lesson goes on, but this was the first place that I really saw the three of them linked together in Ether's, uh, I guess, prophesying and Moroni's writings. Okay, then we're going to pick back up in verse four. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might surely hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. I love that scripture right there because I love the imagery of faith being an anchor to the souls of men and women too, right? Um, I like the imagery of that because I feel like in our world, we are tossed about so many different ways. I mean, even more so, I think every day, our world becomes more and more like attention grabbing. Like everywhere we go, there's something trying to grab our attention and pull our attention away from whatever it is we're currently thinking about. There's ads everywhere. There's billboards everywhere. There's pop-up ads on your internet web search. I mean, everything is trying to grab your attention and pull it away from whatever it is that you need to be focusing on. And in the middle of all that, our faith can serve as an anchor in the middle of a sea of distractions. When we have faith, we have that time where we are alone with our Heavenly Father, where we are communicating with Him, when we are reading our scriptures, when we are going to church, when we are striving to be like Him. And that faith is an anchor in the middle of that sea of advertising and media and distractions that our world is filled with. I love that imagery. And then in 4, you know, which we just read, the cross-reference for the faith that's in there is Luke seven fifty, And this is the woman who comes and she kisses Jesus' feet and she washes them and dries them with her, her hair. And he saith unto her, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. When we in our crazy media stormed world have faith, we can also have peace. We can find peace in Christ when we have faith and we seek him out because I think that faith is what leads us to hope for a better world and to find Christ in the middle of all the noise and chaos. Okay, back to Ether 12, verse 5. And it came to pass that Ether did prophesy great and marvelous things unto the people which they did not believe because they saw them not. Okay, so pause there. Faith is not mentioned in that particular verse, but what we're seeing actually is the opposite of faith. Um, the people are not believing the stuff that Ether is prophesying because they aren't seeing what Ether is prophesying. So 
then in verse six, it goes on to explain, well, faith is not in things that you can see. Okay. Six says, and now I'm Moroni would speak somewhat concerning these things. I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. Wherefore dispute not because you see not for you receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. And it's so interesting to me that the words that Moroni speaks are almost exactly to the words that we see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. To me, that sounds like a plain and precious truth that made it both into the New Testament and into the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon is just a second witness to it. So faith is in things which are hoped for, things not seen. I guess, you know, if you're looking at something and you're like, oh, you know, here's this hammer. If I hit this nail with this hammer really hard, it will drive it into this piece of wood. Like that's not really faith. That's like knowledge. Like this has happened before in the past. I've seen it happen. Oh, look, I can do it again. I'm seeing it happen. Like that's not necessarily faith, but we can have faith in the master carpenter, as he builds our families, as he builds our communities, as he builds our wards, that he will put the nails and the hammers into the right hands of the right people, and that we can build together communities and families that are stronger than they ever would be without him. So do you see like the difference? I think the people in Ether's time were looking for those concrete evidences of you know, this is the hammer, this is the nail, I'm pounding it in. But here's the thing. I think even if they had seen the evidence of faith that Ether was talking about, even if they had the evidence there, I still don't think it would be enough. Because for the people who are like, I need to see a sign, I need to see a miracle, it's never enough. Like you always want to see another miracle. You always want more proof. It's those quiet moments that we have with our Father in heaven where we exercise faith and we have hope that convert us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the big showy like firework miracle type stuff, right? So that was something I was thinking about when I was reading that scripture. Okay, let's continue on to seven and eight. And we're going to see the impact that faith had on Christ and his ministry In seven, it's going to be talking about his ministry in the the Americas to the Nephites. And then in eight and nine, it's going to be talking about his mortal ministry in ancient Israel and the atonement. So seven in the Americas. Here we go. For it was by faith that Christ showed himself unto our fathers after he had risen from the dead. And he showed not himself unto them until after they had faith in him. Wherefore, it must needs be that some had faith in him, for he showed himself not unto the world. So that part right there where he says he showed not himself unto them until after they had faith in him. Do you remember when there was all that chaos and destruction and there was, you know, the darkness and then there was the still small voice? Do you think at that point that they were starting to remember the things that they had been taught and they started to have faith in Christ again? And then that's where he was able to come and be with them. We know that their hearts and minds were already prepared for him to come because when he did show up, they were ready to receive him so much more than the people in Israel had been. Remember, his heart groaned because of the wickedness of the people in Israel compared to the faith that he saw among the Nephites. For them to have had a 180 in their behavior to go from like this wicked people who were part of this destructive society to flipping around to being like so faithful to Christ. 
I mean, I think that they already had to have these little seeds of faith planted in their hearts. Now, going into his mortal ministry and atonement in 8 and 9, it says, But because of the faith of men, he has shown himself unto the world and glorified the name of the Father and prepared a way that thereby others might be partakers of the heavenly gift, that they might hope for those things which they have not seen. Wherefore, ye may also have hope and be partakers of the gift if ye will but have faith. So, what I see there is that through the atonement of Christ, we have faith that we will one day again be with our Father in heaven, that we will be with our Savior, but not only that, we'll be with our families, that there is life after this life, that it goes on, that there is hope for a better future. You know, I think of one of my friends who is a self-proclaimed atheist, and they believe that after they die, that they will literally, I guess, like live on as dirt that feeds like the trees and the plants and stuff like that. And that's their gift to the world, kind of. Um, I guess like body recycling. I don't know. I don't know. We, we've had conversations about this. But I'm like, what a sad hope that is. I mean, you hope that your legacy lives on in plants that are here in the world, I guess, and as a fertilizer. But what a grand destiny we have in faith and hope for what our Heavenly Father has planned for us. You know, how much more hope does that give me? How much more life does that put into my life? I don't know because I'm not in like the atheist mind. So I don't know what's going on in their mind compared to what is in mind. But I believe that it gives us a greater sense of security, a greater sense of hope and longing to be with our Savior again one day. All right. When we have faith, we see Christ in everything around us. And we're going to see that because next we see faith in action. Okay. So this is going to be 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But don't worry. It sounds like a lot, but they're like short verses. So here we go. Behold, it was by faith that they of old were called after the holy order of God. Wherefore, by faith was the law of Moses given. But in the gift of his son hath God prepared a more excellent way. And it is by faith that it hath been fulfilled. For if there be no faith among the children of men, God can do no miracle among them. Wherefore, he showed not himself until after their faith. Behold, it was the faith of Alma and Amulek that caused the prison to tumble to the earth. Behold, it was the faith of Nephi and Lehi that wrought the change upon the Lamanites, that they were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Behold, it was the faith of Ammon and his brethren, which wrought so great a miracle among the Lamanites. So to me, that shows me that faith is not only like a belief system, it's not like something that helps us keep looking towards the future, brighter days, that kind of thing, but it is also something that puts works into action, you know? Um, like they give the example of Alma and Amulek causing the prison to tumble to the earth, and Ammon and his brethren who wrought a great miracle among the Lamanites. From the Book of Mormon, Made Easier by David Ridges, I love that scripture study set. Um, I've used it a lot this year. But there's a quote about this, and he says, As you have probably noticed, many of the examples of faith given in the above verses shows that faith is a principle of action. In other words, if you have faith in Christ, you do much, including moving out of your comfort zone to serve others. You pay tithing. You go to church. You keep the commandments. You accept calls to serve. You apologize to others for offenses, etc., Faith requires action, which goes far beyond belief. 
That was something I needed to hear this week. Um, as I was struggling with a couple different things that I was just uncomfortable with, like things that I just needed to do. They're not that big of a deal. I was like, Lexi, just get over it. But I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do it. I'm just too lazy to do it. I don't want to. And I'm like, okay, but you know what? I have faith in these things and I've accepted this calling and I need to do this. And so I realized that I need to put my faith into action and that made it a little bit easier. All right. And the next scriptures, faith activates the power of heaven. Here we go. 16 through 22. Yea, and even all they who wrought miracles wrought them by faith, even those who were before Christ and also those who were after. And it was by faith that the three disciples obtained a promise that they should not taste of death, and they obtained not the promise until after their faith. Neither at any time hath any wrought miracles until after their faith, wherefore they first believed in the Son of God. And there are many whose faith was so exceedingly strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith, and they were glad. Pause. So those are always the people that I am so amazed and like just awestruck by. They're the ones that I want to be like when I get to the other side, be like, like you are my spiritual role models. The people who believed in Christ so strongly before he ever even came to earth that they saw him. Even those who never even saw him, but still had so much faith that they followed him before he even ever came to earth. Those are my spiritual rock stars. I cannot even imagine having that kind of faith. Um, That is earth shaking faith. They're my role models. I think that is so, so cool. Okay. 20. And behold, we have seen in this record that one of these was the brother of Jared. For so great was his faith in God that when God put forth his finger, he could not hide it from the side of the brother of Jared because of his word, which he had spoken unto him, which word he had obtained by faith. And after the brother of Jared had beheld the finger of the Lord, because of the promise which the brother of Jared had obtained by faith, the Lord could not withhold anything from his sight. Wherefore, he showed him all things, for he could no longer be kept without the veil. And it is by faith that my fathers have obtained the promise that these things should come unto their brethren through the Gentiles. Therefore, the Lord hath commanded me, yea, even Jesus Christ. So, by faith, Moroni knows that this is going to come forward to the Gentiles. Now, up next is the reason I love Moroni, because here's the thing. I love stories. I especially love personal stories. And I love it when the person telling the story adds in a human element, like they're not perfect. And that makes it something I can really relate to. It's why I share so much personal stuff, I think, um, here on the podcast, because I just, I really like stories. I feel like they build people up and they help us connect to each other, you know? And Moroni does some of the best story connecting in the entire like canonized works that I can think of. And he comes right out with his weakness and he says, you know, I'm worried about this thing, Lord, because I'm weak. And he tells this really personal story of this conversation that he has with his heavenly father. And the pattern that Moroni has set in this conversation that he has with his heavenly father is one that I have followed throughout my life when I'm talking to my father in heaven, like saying, here is my issue. This is what I'm concerned about and listening a little bit. And then, you know, talking a little bit more. And, um, I see a lot of similarities in the way that 
I converse with the Lord or I, you know, come before the Lord the same way that Moroni did. Moroni has taught me that, I guess is what I could say. So here we go. In 23, and I said unto him, Lord, the Gentiles will mock at these things because of our weakness in writing. For Lord, thou hast made us mighty in word by faith, but thou hast not made us mighty in writing. For thou hast made all this people that they could speak much because of the Holy Ghost, which thou hast given them. But thou hast made us that we could write but little because of the awkwardness of our hands. But behold, thou hast not made us mighty in writing like unto the brother of Jared. For thou madest him the things which he wrote that were mighty even as thou art unto the overpowering of man to read them. Which pause, I have to say, there are many words that Moroni has written that I feel very overpowered when I read. But anyways, continuing on, 25. And thou hast also made our words powerful and great, even that we cannot write them. Wherefore, when we write, we behold our weakness, and we stumble because of the placing of our words. And I fear lest the Gentiles shall mock at our words. So Moroni goes to our Father in heaven, and he's saying, Lord, I feel really inadequate. I don't think I can do this thing. Um, and I have this weakness I'm taking to you. And there's reasons why I have this weakness. And there's reasons why I fear that this won't work. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Lord. Do you know how many times in my life I've had a conversation similar to that? So many times. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I'm weak in this area. I don't think I can do this. I'm scared. I have fear. I don't think I can do this. And I'm like, Moroni, I feel you. And just like with Moroni, the Lord always gets me through. And some of the ways that he's gotten me through stuff before are the very verses that Moroni writes down next. He says, 26, And when I had said this, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Fools mock, but they shall mourn. My grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. 27, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things strong unto them. Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness. And I will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. So Moroni and the Lord have had this interchange. Moroni said, I'm really afraid. They're going to laugh at me. I don't want to put this out there. It's, it's going to be humiliating. And the Lord in return answers him back with beautiful doctrine. The Lord gives us weakness so that we come unto him. Like that is beautiful. And then the thing that I love about this is Moroni then uses his own personal background knowledge that he already has. And he places this new information that the Lord has given him into this background knowledge. You know, in education, I think about this in education, where we learn, you know, brick by brick, line upon line. We take background knowledge that we already have, and then we take new knowledge that we've gained, and we add them together, and then the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what we see Moroni do here. See, he goes in, he's learned about the Lord gives us weakness to come unto him. You know, he's learned about faith. And in 29, he says, And I, Moroni, having heard these words, was comforted. So first he feels comfort in the words that the Lord's given him. He has this experience, I go unto the Lord to be comforted. Maybe he's had this experience before, and it's just reinforced that, which is good. 
But then he starts supporting this thought that the Lord's just given him with evidence that he already knows from his knowledge of the scriptures. So that's what we see next. O Lord, thy righteous will be done. For I know that thou workest unto the children of men according to their faith. For the brother of Jared said unto the mountain Zaron, Remove, and it was removed. And if he had had not faith, it would not have moved. Wherefore, thou workest after men have faith. For thus didst thou manifest thyself unto thy disciples. For after they had had faith, and did speak in thy name, thou didst show thyself unto them in great power. And I also remember that thou hast said that thou hast prepared a house for man, yea, even among the mansions of thy father, in which man might have a more excellent hope. Wherefore, man must hope, or he cannot receive an inheritance in the place which thou hast prepared. And again, I remember that thou hast said that thou hast loved the world, even unto the laying down of thy life for the world, that thou mightest take it again to prepare a place for the children of men. And now I know that this love which thou hast had for the children of men is charity. Wherefore, except men shall have charity, they cannot inherit that place which thou hast prepared in the mansions of thy father. So he's taking his new theory that when you have faith, the Lord will help you out. He's adding in evidence from the scriptures like this prophet had faith, so this happened. And I know that you've promised this. And when we have faith that this will happen, and he's just strengthened his testimony now with examples from the scriptures. So when we are struggling with something, and we go to the Lord, and we get an answer. A lot of times, I think it helps us if we turn around and we look at written words, whether they be conference talks or whether they be from the scriptures, to reinforce that answer that we've gotten. Sometimes it may not work, but sometimes you will find great support in like the evidence that you find there in written word. I really like Moroni's example of that, and that's something I think I'm going to try and do more in my life. All right, so Going back to Come Follow Me, that was all the first section in Come Follow Me, Ether 12. And we're going to go into the next one, which is all about hope. So that was faith. Now we're going to do hope. It says, Jesus Christ gives us a more excellent hope. In addition to the profound insights about faith, Ether 12 also has a lot to say about hope. Maybe you could note each time the word hope appears. And what does hope mean to you? Okay. To me, personally, one of my favorite quotes about hope, and I've never been able to find the original source for this, like the closest I can get is to a Guillermo del Toro quote, but it's hope is an act of radical optimism. So you take optimism, you radicalize it. Um, You know, I am not only just hoping for something, like wishing for something, but like, strengthening that by like a hundred and that's hope, right? That's always been my favorite quote to explain um, hope is it's an act of radical optimism. And then in the book of Mormon made easier by David Ridges, again, love that scriptural commentary. He actually talks a little bit more about what hope means to the book of Mormon writers. He says the word hope as used in the book of Mormon is not a wishing for or a tentative hoping that maybe something will be obtained, it is a much stronger word than that. In Alma 58.11, hope is coupled with the terms assurances and great faith. In 2 Nephi 31.20, we see a perfect brightness of hope leading to eternal life. Thus, hope in a strong Book of Mormon sense means that you can plan on eternal life in the presence of God because of faith. 
So to the Book of Mormon writers, hope wasn't just like, oh, one day my prince will come, you know, like that kind of hope. No, no. To them, hope means like you're planning on it. It's in your calendar. This is going to happen, right? So that's even more radical optimism. That's almost like more concrete, I would say. So hope as something concrete was something that was a little bit foreign to me. Because that strength of hope is something that I don't necessarily see in my life. So, and I'm going to talk, I have a story about that in just a little bit we're going to talk about, but I want to continue on come follow me first. It says, what were the reasons that Ether had to hope for a better world? So the one spot I could talk about Ether hoping for a better, better world, or I saw Ether hoping for a better, better world was in verse four. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might surety hope for a better world. Yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding in good works, being led to glorify God. So he knew that if we hope for a better world, we'll have faith and it will anchor us to Christ. He was also in the middle of a society that definitely did not have that. So he had like negative evidence to support his theory. Um, but yeah, so that's where I really saw that. And then how has the gospel of Jesus Christ given you a more excellent hope? So this week, as I was thinking about faith and a trial of faith and then also hope um, and the, the two put together, I was trying to think, I was like, Heavenly Father, I feel like I need to share a personal story about this, but I feel like I've shared all my personal stories. I don't feel like I have anything interesting left to say. And so I was trying to think, I'm like, what's a time where I've had to have faith or hope? And so I'm lying on my bed because I was reading my scriptures and I'm just kind of like lying there staring at the ceiling and I turn my head and I can see out of my bedroom into my family room. And as I'm looking at my family room, I have all these pictures of our family hung up on the walls. And there's one picture of my family where we are standing on the beach. It was one of those typical, like, we went to the beach, so we took a family picture on the beach pictures. You know, um, I know they're kind of a joke now, but back in the day, it was still cool. So, you know, we did it. And at the time, to go along with the whole beach scene, we were all dressed in jeans, and then we all had different white shirts on. It was my husband and my son and I. We all had our white shirts on to kind of, like, show off our tans and, you know, make the picture real pretty. So we all went together. So I'm looking at this picture, and I see my husband and my son and I together dressed in white. And my husband's left the church, burned the bridges as he went, like refuses to ever even consider coming back. Um, my son is, my husband says is not allowed to go to church with me. And he's even kind of leaning towards my husband's stance on things. So I do not have a lot of hope that they will ever come back. However, I have faith in my father in heaven that he can do things that I cannot comprehend that nothing is too hard for the Lord. I have faith that he can open up windows and doors, not only physically, but also in the minds of my husband and son. And I feel like in that moment, my heavenly father was telling me, have hope, keep praying for this. Don't give up. It's going to happen. You just have to keep praying and having faith and having hope. Because I go through periods where I just give up. I throw my hands up. I stop praying for it. And I'm just like, you know what? It's just, gonna, it's it's in God's hands now. Like I can, I can do no more. 
But this was just another reminder, like Lexi, it may not be this year. It may not be next year. It may not be in the next 20 years. It may not be in this lifetime. But keep hoping and praying for the day that your family is together in the temple, all dressed in white, just like you are in that photograph. And that has changed my prayers dramatically, as you can imagine. Um, I am praying again for that goal so much harder than I have before. And it's made an appearance back into my prayers again, where I'd stopped praying for it for a while because, you know, I just kind of threw up my hands and was just like, it's, it's not going to happen. So that experience gave me hope and it let me exercise my faith in my father in heaven that he can move mountains, like <laughs> metaphorical mountains of stubbornness and pride that are embedded in, you know, my family right now. And I'm just excited to see what he does and how this is all going to happen and play out because I know it will, um, according to his will and his goodness. So that was an example that happened like literally just this week of hope and reestablishing my hope in my father in heaven and in his promises and in faith in his goodness and his ability to work miracles. Nothing is too hard for the Lord is kind of what I, I heard him telling me. Okay. So I want to go on with a really good quote from one of the talks that Come Follow Me references this week. It's Dieter F. Uchtdorf's The Infinite Power of Hope. He says, hope is a gift of the Spirit. It is a hope that through the atonement of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, we shall be raised unto life eternal, and this because of our faith in the Savior. This kind of hope is both a principle of promise as well as a commandment. And as with all commandments, we have the responsibility to make it an active part of our lives and overcome the temptation to lose hope. Pause. I'm raising my hand there. Like that was my temptation was to lose hope in my family. And <laughs> that I have a responsibility to overcome that. Okay. I'm pause. Hope in our heavenly father's merciful plan of happiness leads to peace, mercy, rejoicing, and gladness. The hope of salvation is like a protective helmet. It is the foundation of our faith and an anchor to our souls. Hey, that sounds familiar. We just read that. Okay, continuing. Moroni in his solitude, even after having witnessed the complete destruction of his people, believed in hope. In the twilight of the Nephite nation, Moroni wrote that without hope, we cannot receive an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So Moroni literally saw his people destroyed. He is by himself. He has no reason to hope, but he believed in hope. So like if Moroni can believe in hope, I can believe in hope, right? Such a good example to me. Um, Moroni was this week just in so many ways. I just, I really love Moroni. You know, I think we all have like favorite Book of Mormon prophets, you know, that we really just really love. It's been interesting this year as we've gone and we've read the Book of Mormon. Um, Nephi had always really gotten on my nerves, but as I learned more about him this year, Nephi has become one of, one of my favorites. But Moroni is always going to be my rock star Book of Mormon prophet. Like, I just, I love me some Moroni. Okay. All right. Because of the next section in Come Follow Me, we're going to talk about this. Jesus Christ can make weak things strong. When we read Moroni's powerful writings, it is easy to forget that he worried about his weakness in writing and feared that people would mock his words. 
But God promised that he would make weak things become strong for the humble. And the spiritual power in Moroni's writings is convincing evidence that the Lord fulfilled his promise. Yes, yes, he did. Moroni is the perfect example of someone coming to the Lord and saying, look, I have this weakness. And the Lord like pouring down his power into this weakness and creating a huge strength. I love it. Okay, continuing on. After reading Ether 12, 23 through 29, ponder times when God has helped you recognize your weaknesses and made you strong in spite of them. Maybe this is also a good time to think about weaknesses you are currently struggling with. What do you feel you need to do to humble yourself before the Lord and show faith in him in order to receive his promise to make weak things become strong? Okay, so they're referencing the verse of Ether 12, 27. And this has been one of my favorite scriptures for a long time, even before I understood the story of Moroni that was behind it. Um, I first remember really becoming acquainted with the scripture when I was in second grade. Um, I was in second grade and I was really struggling with my handwriting. Um, I just had like chicken scratch. Like it was awful. Since then, I have come to realize that that is probably part of my artsy fartsy self. Um, like I do not tend to be tidy and neat about most things. And so that was just another evidence of I'm just kind of all over the place. Like I think about like my dad, who's an engineer, and my brother, who's a computer programmer, like their writing is like very neat and like fits into squares like they're little robots. Okay. Yeah. That's not my brain. That's not how my brain works. And so my writing was literally like all over the place. And to the point that I got a note sent home from my second grade teacher saying like, Lexi really needs to work on her handwriting. It's totally illegible. And my mom sat me down. We looked at this verse together. And at the time I was like really discouraged. I'm like, I just can't do this. It's just too hard. And she told me this story about Heber J. Grant and Heber J. Grant when he was in his early teens, decided that he wanted to work in a bank. But to work in a bank at that time, remember, they didn't have computers and stuff like that. Everything had to be written down in ledgers with handwriting. And his friend said that his handwriting was so awful, it looked like, hold on, let me find the quote. That writing looks like hen tracks. It looks as if lightning had struck an ink bottle. That's how bad his handwriting was. So he practiced and he practiced and he practiced. And he finally got to the point where his his handwriting was so good that not only was he working in the bank and he was writing things down there in like the little ledger that they had for bank transactions, but after bank hours, he was doing freelance work for invitations and announcements and things like that, calligraphy, right? And then it even got to the point where he was awarded a diploma for his penmanship and he won an award for his penmanship to the point where it says the best in Utah. His penmanship was the best in Utah. So he took something that was a weakness and he practiced it over and over again and became the best in Utah with his penmanship. And my mom tells me this story. We read Ether 12, 27. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I practice. Eventually it got passable enough that like, you know, people could kind of read like what I was writing. And it went on from there. As I got older and older, and again, I realized like this is part of like my artsy fartsy self. I started realizing like I could create like really beautiful letters, make them really artsy. I went into this whole phase where I really got into calligraphy. I was making absolutely beautiful letters. And even now I really like to doodle letters. I do like hand lettering stuff when I make like door hangers and things like that. 
And so it's something that went from a real weakness of mine into something that's kind of a strength. So that's all about handwriting, which is so interesting to me because that all seems to be tied up in um, Moroni was worried about writing as well. So very interesting that all works that way. Another example of this in like a more spiritual context is, and I've talked about this before, that I'm kind of flaky and I have a really hard time about being diligently regular about things. For my whole life, except for like the last 10 plus years or so, I have been really struggling with reading the scriptures on a regular schedule. Like my whole life, I struggled with that. And, you know, there'd be days I would skip. There'd be weeks I would skip. Sometimes it was months that I would skip reading my scriptures. And then I'd pick it up and I'd be good for a couple of days. And then I would skip another couple of days. And, you know, it was better when seminary was in session because it forced me to read a little bit more and pay attention a little bit more. But I mean, there were just like long periods of time where I would just go except for picking up my scriptures, maybe on Sundays or something like that. Well, it happened like two or three years probably before I got married. So it would be about 15 years ago. Um, I decided I wanted to read the scriptures every day. And so I decided to make it a habit. I started picking it up and reading them every single day. And the deal I made with myself was you don't have to sit down and create an entire Sunday school lesson like every time you read the scriptures. It'd be really good if a couple times a week you do have like those delving into the scripture like moments. But if there are days where there's just not time, pick it up, read a page or two, and just count it good because you've had a little bit of scriptures in your life. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And I have to tell you, then for the last like 15 or so years, there is not a day that I have not read my scriptures. And for someone like me, who's a total cornflake, like that is impressive Um, to totally change my habits to the point where I'm able to do that. That is something that just is mind blowing to me. And I know that it's because of the help that my father in heaven gave me. Um, I know it's the days where I am a little flaky and feeling tired and maybe I read a page or two and I'm not really zoned into it. And, but I keep going because I know that I did that yesterday. So today I'm going to delve a little bit deeper into it. And he gives me the strength to keep doing that. And on the days where I'm like, I really don't want to do this. He pushes me and pushes me to the point that I can do it. It has made a huge difference in my life. I see a huge strengthening in my testimony by having the scriptures in my life every single day. Again, from someone who that is not the norm for like the majority of my life, to have that in my life every single day is pretty much a miracle. I would have to say, if you had asked me like 20 years ago, if I would be reading the scriptures every single day, I'd probably say, ah, no, that's not me. That would never be me because I was so like irregular with it. But um, yeah, so that's, that's a strength I see the Lord has really helped me out with in my life. All right, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode here. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. Again, one of my favorite stories in the Book of Mormon is Moroni coming before the Lord, showing him his weakness, pleading like, Lord, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to mock me because of my writing. And then Moroni turning around and just having like, boom, amazing writing just dropping on us. Um And especially when he's in a situation where he has no cause to have any hope or faith, and yet he is full of hope and faith. Such a role model, such an inspiration to me. I am so grateful for his example. All right, I hope you guys have an excellent week. I hope it is filled with love, hope, and faith. And I will see you guys next week. Bye, y'all.
The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.